Hello, 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 and cha-cha-cha. Hi friends, this is Alex Townsend coming to you once again from our studios, which also means our condominium. And more specifically, if we want to get even more, more specific, um, our kitchen here in Southwest Florida. And uh, back by popular demand is Jennifer. Hey, baby. Hello, hello. <laughs> How you doing, Angel? Doing great and chop-chop-chai. <laughs> yeah, we just finished uh, listening to some music a little while ago as we were um, uh, running some errands. We just came back from the grocery store. We bought a couple of things that we really needed. There's nothing more fun than going to the grocery store and doing your grocery together. I think so. It's a really beautiful thing that a couple can do together. I think so. Well, do you ever notice, like, when I'm at the grocery... I notice this when I'm at the grocery store, if you notice this, babe, that you are very likely going to hear a song that you heard on the radio years ago that you like. This song is going to stick with me forever. I know. <laughs> like those all, all tunes. Uh, well, not just that. Just, like, songs you heard. Not even, like... Like, like, yeah, I guess to a point that's true. But, like, I heard Escape by, um, by uh, Enrique Iglesias. Oh God, I was a teenager when that came out. I know, the old songs. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we're still young, babe. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like they played that song in there. They played um, Again by Lenny Kravitz. All of my life, where have you been? I wonder if I'll ever see you again. And if that day comes, I know we can win. I wonder if I'll ever see you again. That's a good song. It's a good song. I always, here's the thing, almost any time I try to sing a pop or a rock song, or even something that's soul, that's, that's or an R&B song, it almost always sounds country. Really? <laughs> it almost always sounds country. I know why that is though, Jennifer. Why is that? Cause I grew up listening to country music with my, um, my father and my grandmother. My mother a little bit, but more more so my father and my grandmother. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, good memories there. Those are some good happy memories. Very, very happy memories. Um, but like, uh, the first time I was with my grandmother is when I heard the uh, Don Henley song, Heart of the Matter. Oh, Heart of the Matter. That's my favorite Don Henley song. Mm. And I almost always hear that in the grocery store. Really? When I was a little kid, I used to hear it in the grocery store a lot. I remember like... I was like five, six years old the first time I heard it. I went, what is this? Mm. I just thought the song was great. And I've actually sung it. I've actually sung that song uh, at karaoke at karaoke bars. You must have been very good at it. Uh, yeah, I've been singing that song since I was like, you know, six years old. So yeah, I was, I was pretty good with it, you know. But I mean, his work with the Eagles and his work as a solo artist has always moved my heart. Right. It's one of those, it's like... He's one of those artists, mm -hmm. like, if he were to put out a new album tomorrow, and it's been five years since his last album. Five years? Yeah, we bought. I bought the album. I think I showed it to you the day after I bought it. Uh, it was called Cass County. Oh, yes, yes. Now I remember. Yeah, and that's a collection of, um, it's, it's really great songs, but it was music that he primarily, it was, how do I say this? It was very different than the stuff he made, um in the um in the 80s mm -hmm. as a solar 80s and 90s as a solar artist he it because it, it, it featured a lot more of blues and country mm -hmm. you know it was very blues and country uh influenced very good. and there's some really good songs in there including um 
Uh, the first three tracks are really, really good. Uh, Bramble, Bramble Rose with Mick Jagger and Miranda Lambert. Right. Cost of Living with the late Merle Haggard. Right. Uh, no Thank You with Vince Gill, which is a very catchy tune. No Thank You, I Don't Think So. That's a great song. Mm, that is a good one. It's a really catchy song. When I Stop Dreaming with Dolly Parton, that's a good song. Um, yeah, there's a lot. It'll, he, got, he got together a lot of good artists to work on that album with him. Trisha Yearwood came back to sing with him again. The first time I heard him was actually with Trisha Yearwood. Oh. It was on a song called Walk Away Joe. Remember Walk Away Joe? I remember Walk Away Joe. You know, uh, that boy's just a walk away Joe. Born to believe it till your father were through. Desperate to see her, he's alone in a paradise. She's gonna know it in a matter of time. Cause that boy's just a walk away Joe. Now that's a tough song to sing. I, I, I couldn't sing it. I, I obviously I can, but I, I can do I can do some of Don's stuff. I've done that song. Um, I've done Heart of the Matter live, and I've done um, at a karaoke bar, and I've done um, the Last Worthless Evening. The other one I haven't done that I really want to do is um, uh, uh, End of Innocence. That's a great one. Yeah, I'll get to that one. Well, that whole album is just fantastic. And it definitely borders on, you know, talking about the um, disappearance of the American dream. That's right. You know, Don even says Hotel California is about that if you really listen to the lyrics. Mm-hmm. He's good about singing about the world that we live in and um, the relationships between men and women and the state of America. Right. He's quite good at that. And he captured that quite well when he made um, um, Cass County. It's a great album. I might bring his stuff on the road today when I have to, when I have to go to work later. But um, yeah, we spent the first six minutes just talking about Don Henley and shopping at the grocery store. That's I, that's a good set. That's a good good start to our, our to our podcast. It's a very good start. I think so because we got a lot we want to talk about. So I want to make sure we start with something really good. Um, Jennifer's also making my favorite dinner meal for dinner. One of my favorite meals for dinner. She's making cornbread stuffing. Cornbread stuffing we're, and tomato basil soup. Yeah, we're going to have that when I get home from work tonight. And um, as we're going to eat that, we'll watch our game shows. And um, it's um, it's going to be a good night. It's gonna be, I like going to work for a few hours today, which is really good. So we'll actually get to, we, we actually get to spend the morning together, which is really good. Um, but I also want to start off this podcast by uh, asking everyone... Um, First of all, how are you? And I hope you guys are staying safe during this really, really, you know, challenging time for us. I don't want to just say scary. It is scary, but it's also challenging as well. And I think what it's doing for all of us is it's testing our um, ability to see what is important in life. I don't know if we did. I don't know if we even put on that test before this happened. I, I, I can safely say I don't think so. We hadn't been testing that in a long time. I know we've been testing for the past four years, but um, I can safely say I think we ultimately I think we've passed the test because this past Saturday we got some very good news. As we uh, mentioned in the last podcast, Jennifer and I voted, and I can safely say the results are in. And Joseph Biden and Kamala Harris are going to be taking over 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue come January 20th, 2021. Biden won! Biden won! (laughs) 
Oh, it feels so good to say that. It feels really, really good to say that. <laughs> oh, I'm taking I'm taking a victory lap for all it's worth. I'm telling you, I <laughs> I gotta have in the last few days. But it's um, no, it's a it's a very very good feeling um, to know that we got two two wonderful, two articulate, two compassionate individuals who are uh, going to be taking over. Um, the running of, um, America and, you know, essentially the two most powerful people in the world, you know, and, um, after the last four years of, uh, Donald Trump and Mike Pence and their minions, it just, it feels so good. Oh my God. Does it feel so good? Oh, we can breathe now for, for a second people, <laughs> but I'm also going to say this as much as I'm going to say, we can all take a breather and we, um, We take a breather as I'm as I'm saying right here, but also let's not forget what's important here. Um, now that we're going to be having two grown-ups running the country, um, the real work now begins because it's up to all of us who voted for Biden and Harris not to be complacent. That that that's the message I'm going to say to everyone who's listening to this podcast who voted for Biden and voted for Harris, even if you didn't vote, but you didn't like Donald Trump, I can safely say this is not your time to be complacent either. This is your time for your voice to be heard. This is our moment as a nation. And we need to step up to the plate. And we need to fight for the things that we say we care about. And it starts with finding a cure for COVID, getting a vaccine. Yes. (laughs) Jennifer's excited for that. Amen. Yeah. Um, Because we saw the way that this, you know, this crisis was run during, you know, this, this, this current administration. And it's just, it's just been run terribly, you know, between, you know, calling it, you know, a hoax and making fun of people who are wearing masks and, you know, um, tossing trash toward uh, Fauci's way and talking trash about him and the people that actually care and believe in science and actually believe in trying to make a difference. And then Trump's people lying through their teeth about saying he's doing his part. No, he hasn't. And it shouldn't be a surprise that ultimately he got COVID. Members of his staff have gotten COVID. And, you know... We've got over 200,000 Americans at last count, over 200,000 who have died because of this. So this is not the time to be complacent. This is not the time to, you know, be cocky and be arrogant. I know that seems like it's a lot of fun. And believe me, I've taken my victory lap. But now since we've taken our victory lap, that's where the true work begins. And it also uh, continues with fighting for health, for, for you know, healthcare as a right in this country. It also includes fighting for making college more affordable for our young people, so that they can go, so they can go to college. I speak as a person who um, my father did not finish college, but I did, and I don't take that for granted. That you know, higher education essentially saved my life. Going to first Delaware Tech, Technical and Community College, and then uh, Florida Southwestern, which used to be called Edison College, 
and then Florida Gulf Coast University. Essentially, those two years, I, those last two years of college at FGCU saved my life. I discovered television uh, production there. I discovered uh, writing for the school paper. I got involved. I registered people to vote. I campaigned for um, Barack Obama and Joe Biden in 2012. And I'll tell you one thing, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I've seen no ways to make any apologies for my wanting to make a difference in the world. I did work with Planned Parenthood, which I'm very proud of, you know, in helping out with um, women's reproductive rights and women's health in this country. And all of us need to step up to the plate and do our part and help others. And also help Biden and Harris with this, with, with, a, with this transition that's about to come because we don't know if it's going to be smooth or if it's going to be chaotic. But what we do know is that January 20th, come on that day, that Trump will be escorted out of the White House, which whether he concedes or not, and I know that he is not looking forward to conceding, but I don't care. He lost, Biden and Harris one, and America has to deal with it, okay? I've met, I've come across a lot of people um, who are in denial of that reality. And to be perfectly honest with you, they're acting like children, okay? We tried it your way for four years, children. You lost, okay? And not only that, the person you voted for in 2016 mismanaged our country for too long in terms of healthcare, in terms of immigration, um, in destroying how the rest of the world sees us. And believe me, as I say this, that actually matters. I think when you have a president that is cowering to to dictators who are totalitarian and cutthroat, I think that's a problem, and I think that's wrong. So, my way of describing the last four years, and if you come across someone in your family or a friend that you know or someone that you know that you're just meeting for the first time, who thinks that the last four years were great, just use this phrase, not okay. Not okay, it's two very easy words and you can use it in so many different realms. Allow me to demonstrate. Trump trying to mess with reproductive rights, not okay. Trump trying to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, not okay. Trump uh, showing disrespect to, LG, the, to the LGBTQ community. Not okay. Trump disregarding, you know, COVID-19, the seriousness of it, and the end result is over 200,000 dead. Not okay. Trump saying disrespectful things about women and treating them like second-class citizens. Not okay. See, it works, it works very simple. You could pick any issue over the last four years that he's taken on. Not okay. 
And this is especially helpful when someone says me says to you, Hey, did you vote for Biden? Your tax is going up. Just say it. Well, one, you could say, well, wait a minute. I know how much I make in a year. Wait a minute. My taxes are not going up. And by the way, even if they were, there are other ways to vote than your fucking wallet. Very simple. You know? It's like, hmm, taxes, disregarding a, pen, disregarding a pandemic. Taxes, hmm. See, there's more reasons to vote than your wallet. And too many Americans think with their stupid wallet. Really? It's like, you know, it's frustrating, but, you know, folks, trust me, democracy, justice, fighting for equality, it's never easy. Anyone that tells you it's easy is lying. And also, as a country, we need to stay on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to do the right thing. Now, I am confident in how they have carried themselves, of how they've come together as two people, becoming one. I think they're going to work together in a beautiful, um, in a beautiful, I'm trying to think of the right word, I'm trying to think of a, a way of bringing societal harmony. That's I like that. I think they can bring societal harmony to us. And you know what? I'm excited for them. I actually like both of those people very much. You see, to me, character matters. And I'm not sure where America's character went the last four years, but I'm very glad we're getting it back. So, I'm excited for January 20th, and um, I just hope that uh, there'll be performers at the inaugural. I hope it'll be as um, star-studded as the 2009 inaugural was, because I watched it on HBO, and they had performers like John Mellencamp and Bruce Springsteen and Garth Brooks, and... Bruce actually brought on Pete Seeger and Pete Seeger's grandson, and they sang This Land is Your Land, which I had never heard before. And I have a friend of mine who lives in New York um, who said to me, I had to sing that song when I was in the third grade. I went, really? How come I've never heard of it? But, you know, it's... Um, I, I, I hope that our world can open up as well so the performers can be there for that wonderful moment. Because I know Cher and John Bon Jovi were among those who performed at rallies for, um, for Biden, and, um, I hope that one or both of them can be there for this one, um, I also hope James Taylor can be there, um, cause I think he would, I think he'd do in a heartbeat, he did Obama's, uh, second inaugural, which was really great, um, but I'm just hoping that with a new administration, we can fight COVID, we can deliver better on healthcare, we can make college education a lot more affordable, we can reform criminal justice, the criminal justice system, which we definitely need to do. And I hope that we can rebuild America, rebuild our infrastructure, our dams and our roads and our bridges. Um, our first order of business is to get America healthy again, is to fight COVID, find a vaccine. I think uh, Fauci and the good scientists that are working in this nonstop, working around this country nonstop, fighting to find a cure. And I know it's going to take time, but I'm rooting for them. And I think they're going to have a lot less interference with um, with Joe and Kamala and other things, I can tell you that. If there's any group of people
people that I do feel a little sorry for, it's the late night comics. Because they have been my source of humor since I was a teenager, you know, first discovering, you know, um, Jay Leno and David Letterman and Conan O'Brien and Jon Stewart. And then um, discovering the guy that inspired all of them, and that was Johnny Carson, of course. Um, I, uh, I discovered Johnny Carson um, through um, a, a DVD set of The Best of the Tonight Show, uh, which covered, you know, um, his 30 years in late-night TV history with, um, you know, more than 4,000 shows and over 20,000 guests. And, you know, he just, he set the bar very high. He set the bar extremely high for class and for biting humor, and he always went for the funny. That's one thing I respected about uh, Johnny Carson is that um, he he knew how to be funny no matter what administration was in power. The, the people that I knew that were the best at that growing up were Johnny Carson, although I was only four when he... Um, when he retired, but I remember seeing reruns and just paying attention to the way he told a joke and set up a joke. Even if the joke fell flat, Johnny could get back up and just uh, keep going. And there were times where he would stretch a joke out and he felt like the audience didn't get it. I always liked that. David Letterman was always very good at that, too. He'd just stretch it out and stretch it out and stretch it out as long as it was um, getting momentum. He'd just stay on it and then go to the next topic. Um... Leno was always set up joke punchline, and if the joke fell flat, um, he and his um, guitar player, his guitar player who was the band leader Kevin Eubanks, would always uh, make fun of it. Especially if Jay reread the reread the cue, misread the cue cards, um, or the joke just fell flat, or you know, it was just it it came out well. from what I saw in that arena from Dave and from Jay and then The Daily Show with Jon Stewart um, they were always able to make fun of of whoever was in power first when it was Bush and then when it was Obama and I will say this though I mean the way that Stewart did it was very different than Letterman and Leno for one thing um, John was on Comedy Central cable channel and he was on four nights a week and he was only on for a half hour and John also assembled some of the most brilliant comedians of you know of my generation just to really really um, come in and just skewer whatever the hell was going on at that time and they just all did it with just biting commentary and always going for the funny and always going for what was ridiculous and absurd in our society and and I'm smiling now knowing that so many of those folks have become some of the best the best of the best and have gone on to star in their own show some of them have become movie stars and some of them have joined the late night realm as well and with brilliance you know especially you know Stephen Colbert and John Oliver and Samantha Bee and Hassan Minhaj and I just love those guys I think they're all hysterical and brilliant in their own way I really like Stephen Carell um he was really great on that show, but I always admired him when he went on to do The Office, and then later when he went on to do movies. I knew once he started to do movies that he was going to be bigger in that than he was with television. He's bigger than that, as far as I'm concerned. His 
I heard someone once say about Steve Martin that television was conventional, but Steve Martin wasn't. I think that's the thing with Carell, too. Carell's always gone back to television. You know, I mean, he recently did the morning show with Jennifer Aniston and um, Reese Witherspoon, which he was absolutely brilliant in. Um, a little scary, but absolutely brilliant in so many ways. Um, but he proved that he was bigger than, you know, one little television show. And that's a very hard thing to do. It's very hard to come off of a show like The Daily Show or Saturday Night Live and go on to superstardom. A lot of comedians who come off of a hit show like that don't really get that fan, that um, that fanfare or find superstardom right away. Some of them don't get it, and a lot of them don't come back for a long period of time if they ever come back at all. I mean, Fallon left, you know, Saturday Night Live in, uh, let's see here, when did Fallon leave Saturday Night Live? Because um, I remember seeing Jimmy Fallon on the, on Saturday Night Live, and he was on there, he left in 2004 uh, to do movies, and he did Taxi, and he did, um, he did Fever Pitch with uh, Drew Barrymore, he did Taxi with Queen Latifah, but I thought after those two movies, I didn't think Jimmy Fallon was going to come back, I always thought he was funny, but I never thought that he was going to um, return to that stardom, and when he did Late Night in 2009, and I saw his first week, and he had on Justin Timberlake and Robert De Niro and um, Tina Fey as guest. Drew Barrymore. I went, okay, okay, he's got it. He's gonna, Jimmy, Jimmy's gonna make it. And um, the show got better each week and each week. And, you know, he was getting really good guests and he was doing fun segments like um, the charades and Password and um, Celebrity Whispers, which never fails to make me laugh. Um... And, you know, just... He's kept it original. He's kept a lot of skits in that just work brilliantly. I also like it when he sings with um, other guests that are in the chair with him. You know, whether it's Alicia Keys or whether it's Celine Dion or whether it's Jamie Foxx um, or when he does celebrity impressions with uh, Seth MacFarlane. Oh, my God. It's just... He tears it up night after night after night. Um, I just, I, I really admire his brilliance for that. And also the fact that he um, has managed to be one of the few shows that is staying away. How do I say this? He's staying away from the sideshow. Now, some people can get into that sideshow of, you know, of, you know, how crazy Washington is. Like, John Oliver's good at that. John Oliver's good at that. Stephen Colbert is really good at that. Samantha Bee is really good at that. And Seth Meyers is really good at that. Um, and I picked up on that when I watched Jimmy and Tina Fey do Weekend Update together. Um, when they did it, they were funny together. And I'm not going to lie, I loved seeing them play off each other. But I always got the sense that Jimmy um, felt more going for, you know, the funny than he felt of... Making a serious, making a serious point, and some people would say, "Well, doesn't that ruin the uh, art of political comedy, Alex?" Well, I would argue that if you're funny, if it's one thing about satire is it can be funny, but it can also make a serious point as well. And the thing with with Fallon is he always found funny in things that were just silly and relatable to everybody. I can safely say I love Seth Meyers and Colbert, and I like uh, Samantha, 
but definitely their comedy's not for everybody. I know people that really, really hate them. <laughs> there are some people I, I've heard that say, John Samantha should be talking about uh, politics. They're not from America. Who gives a fuck? Like, they have a show in the United States. People like them. You either watch it or you don't. Nobody forces you to. If you don't like their show, don't watch it. It's very simple. It's the same with Saturday Night Live. They've made fun of Trump for the past four years. And, and you know, even going back to when he was running for, you know, president, for president in 2016. So we'll, 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 we'll say five years. We'll be generous then. That's it. We'll say five years. Okay? And I just will say this. Alec Baldwin has done a terrific job. He has done an absolutely terrific job as, as Trump. It does not surprise me week by week, you know, just how funny he is. It, it's like, I know he's going to make me laugh. I don't know what he's going to say one minute to the next because their writers on the show are just are just absolutely brilliant in how they construct a joke, construct each scene. I'm just, it's, it's, it, it boggles my mind. I'm like, wow. To be a comedy writer, oh, that's, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, but I can imagine it can be a tiring job because you're also trying to keep it original. And I can imagine week by week it's hard for those guys. And for the ones that do it on that show or um, Colbert show or John Oliver more power to you. And, you know, it's the same with, and I'll go back to, I mentioned Colbert and Oliver and uh, and, uh, Samantha, you know, their show has a point of view, okay? Yeah, it's a comedy show, but it also has a point of view. Same with Bill Mars. They have a decided point of view. You don't have to like it, but it definitely has a point of view. And my view is, if you don't like it, don't watch it. Don't piss on it if you don't like it. You know, turn on, you know, Fox News with Greg Gutfield, you know, or whatever those, or whatever his friends over at the five are saying, you know, turn that on if it makes, if it makes you laugh, you know, it doesn't make me laugh. Personally, I think Gutfield is an idiot and a buffoon among other things. But, you know, my point is this, if you think something's funny, that's great. And by the way, millions of other people find Colbert and Oliver, and Seth, and Samantha, and Jimmy Kimmel, they find those people funny, okay? They're good at what they do, and they're also shining a light on this crazy world that we have been living in, and they've done an absolute, the last four years, and they've done an absolutely brilliant job at it, and more power to them. You know, I wish they would give Nobel Prizes to comedians because those guys deserve it for what they do. They really do. They've kept people like me who felt, you know, frustrated and a bit afraid for the past four years. You know, they've given us, um, how's it, was it, what, how to describe it? Like when we're given like fast food and garbage from, you know, Trump and the people that are, you know, pulling his strings and cheerleading for him. When I turn on the you know, late night comedians and when I turn on Saturday Night Live, you know, every weekend, it's like I'm getting health. It's like I'm getting fruits and vegetables and protein that I really, really, really need. And it's just, oh, it feels so refreshing. I'd say especially this season with um, Saturday Night Live, they have been on fire every week, 
without fail, and they have gotten really great hosts. I will say the two hosts that have stood out the most have been um, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle. I watched both episodes with Jennifer, and I have to tell you, it was... Both episodes were just balls out funny. They were completely just well-written, and the monologues were great, and the sketches were thought-provoking, and they make you squirm in your chair a little bit, but believe me, that's a good thing. Um, if It's refreshing to find comedians that can make you laugh and make you think, you know, because I think both, is very, both are very, very important to our world. Um, and also, we're living in some we're living in some crazy times, as I've said many times on this podcast. We're living in some crazy, crazy times. So, I can safely say that it's so refreshing to finally, you know, get you know see see a show every weekend and know that they're going to get great guest stars. They're going to have great comedians come out and make you laugh, you know. And hurt your gut, too. I like hurt your gut kind of humor. And, you know, Saturday Night Live has always been that for the past, you know, I've been watching it since I was 12. I just, I just absolutely love it week after week after week. And, um, but Chappelle, I I think Chappelle was my favorite. I, um, I love seeing the uh, cold open with uh, Alec Baldwin, Jim Carrey, and Maya Rudolph as uh, Trump, Biden, and um, Kamala. And, um... It was just fantastic. I love the skit with um, Uncle Ben and Aunt Jemima sketch. I thought that was really funny. Um, I thought Weekend Update was hilarious. I thought the way that um, Michael Che and Colin Jost, Jost were... Um, I always pronounce his name. Jost. Jost. Uh, J-O-S-T. Sorry, Scarlett. <laughs> That's, uh, he's married to Scarlett Johansson. But um, I just love seeing the two of them go back and forth and just riff on one news item after the other. It's like one after the other and they're stretching the joke out in like layer after layer after layer and just going for it. I love that. Absolutely fantastic. And I also love when Kate McKinnon came in and did Rudy Giuliani. Um, I knew that. I knew we were going to probably see that uh, ultimately and it was just, oh my god. Seeing her try to go after uh, Colin and try to you know, egg him on, and seeing him keep a straight face, or try to keep a straight face, it's just hysterical. Michael Che had a glass with him, I'm not sure what the hell was in it, but I'm guessing it was red wine of some kind, um, but it was good, it was hysterical, and, uh, the Foo Fighters were the musical guests, and they, uh, did a new song called Shame Shame, and they did, um, a classic hit that they made in 2003 called, uh, Times Like These, and, oh my god, if you've not heard the Foo Fighters, um, their music is just simply fantastic. Um, I just discovered them as of recently. Yeah, I'm late to the party on, on their music. Forgive me, ladies and gentlemen. But um, I've been listening to them this past uh, couple of days, and I mean, just so many really good songs. I mean, Everlong's a great song. All My Life's a great song. Best of Me is a great song. I knew Learn to Fly, because I used to see the video for it constantly on um, MTV and VH1 when it first came out in... Um, Oh, God, no. When did, that, when did that song come out? Uh, 1999, right. I, I was going to say 2001. I didn't want to get it wrong. Uh, yeah, when it came out in um, September of 1999. And I just thought the video was great. It won a Grammy for a Best Short Music Video. And 
they were parodying the movie Airplane, and it was just, it was great. It was absolutely fantastic, and uh, Tenacious D, Jack Black, and Kyle Glass were in it, and they were really funny, so I enjoyed it. It was, um, it was really great seeing Dave Grohl and, um, and his band and the, and the Foo Fighters just knock it out of the park and just rock that house. Uh, Jennifer was not that wild about it. It wasn't, it's not her kind of rock and roll. Um, she was like, it was all right. But uh, just hearing you say that was like, what? <laughs> you know, it's uh, I get it. It's not everybody's kind of rock and roll. But um, I like that it um, that Dave Grohl makes you know intelligent, intelligent you know poetry, intelligent songwriting, beautiful poetry, um, and his ability to blast that guitar um, is brilliant as his drumming in Nirvana was. You know, um, but they were they were. Um, very, very good. They've been very good episodes this season, and I cannot wait to see um, what's next for the guys. Um, honest and all, it's going to be interesting to see. And as we close this episode of the Aspie Files, I um, I want to take a moment to acknowledge a television icon that we lost over the weekend. I grew up watching this man. You probably grew up watching this man, um, unless you grew up in a cave, and I hope you didn't. Um, Alex Trebek, the long-running host and moderator of Jeopardy, we lost him over the weekend at the age of 80 after a nearly two-year battle with pancreatic cancer. Like so many things in Alex's life, he faced this battle with humility and courage and determination, and he never lost his wit or his sense of humor, and he continued to host Jeopardy. And even on days when he didn't feel like being there, he knew that we were rooting for him, and he was there for us, and I was admiring for him for that. And I was, I want to give a shout out to those contestants who wore purple in honor of Alex and his battle with pancreatic cancer and the, um, the contestant who um, wrote in his uh, final Jeopardy response, "We love you, Alex," and it almost moved Alex to tears. He um, said, oh, "That's very kind of you." Cost you how much? Nineteen ninety-five. He had two thousand dollars at that moment. He said he left with five bucks. Just hearing him say five bucks was um, was very, very moving. I will say that. Um, I'm going to try to pronounce the contestant's name. Uh, Dreve Gar, who um, I would say deserves a big salute for that. Good job, man. Um, I know Alex for many things, not just Jeopardy. I can safely say that. Most people, when they think of Alex, they're going to say, you know, the answer is, or, you know, that famous theme song for Final Jeopardy. Do, 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 do. like that and it just stays in my head I wanted to do that for Alex um but he got his start um in broadcasting while he was attending the University of Ottawa still in Canada 
working for the CBC in radio and in television. He hosted everything from music programs to curling and horse racing and high school quiz shows. And um, the high school quiz show could reach for the top. And after losing a gig to host hockey night in Canada, because he had a mustache, he decided to try the United States, where he saw the pasture was a lot greener. And he knew that he would find success there. And he hosted a slew of wonderful shows that included High Rollers and Double Dare and Battle Stars, which I really, really liked. And while each of those shows were fantastic, especially High Rollers and Double Dare, I just love those the most, um, it's clear even then he had it. He had a sense of wit humor and he rooted for the contestants and he never saw himself as the star he always saw himself as the host and the moderator but the contestants were the stars and he managed to live by that um, that code of ethics and more game show hosts should live by that and I know that the things I loved about Alex were his wit and his humor and his warm reception to all of us. His warm welcome to all of us when we tuned in at 7.30 or 5.30 or wherever the hell, whatever time Jeopardy was on, um, wherever you were in the world. You felt like you were talking to a member of the family, a funny, witty, lovable uncle or cousin or just someone that you felt you knew even if you didn't know him personally. Same with the contestants. You know, Alex was able to prep them up and, you know, encourage them. And any game show host that can follow that creed, you really got a, something special there. He had it, you know. I also love classic concentration. Um, and to tell the truth, which he hosted for nine months, for several, for only a few months in 1991. I think it probably lasted a lot longer had he been hosting it from the beginning. Um, no offense, Gordon Elliott and Lynn Swan. Um, and I also love the work he did for the um, National Geography Bee um, encouraging kids to know about the world and be curious he implied that same same philosophy when he was hosting um, game shows with adults and especially Jeopardy and you know I for one felt a lot more curious about the world after seeing an episode with Jennifer or whoever I was watching with at the time but lately it's been Jennifer and I'm so glad for that she's the only woman that has ever watched that show with me <laughs> um and I love you for that baby thank you um he is survived by his wife Jean a real estate project manager and he's survived by three children Nikki from his first marriage and his children with Jean, Matthew, and Emily. Your dad was really, really wonderful, guys. He was just... He meant so much to me and to the rest of the world. And I know Jeopardy will continue on. But your father is always going to remain in our hearts. And always. We'll never forget the, um, the joy that all of us had tuning in to see how well we knew... Um, 
world that was around us um, for whatever subject, whether it was history or whether it was geography or whether it was medicine or whether it was liter- literature or whether it was art or whether it was music or movies or television or sports or even weird little puzzles in between um, that I'm still trying to figure out to this day some of them. Um, but um, I'm going to miss you, Alex. And um, do me a favor and say hi to my grandmother, Betty, and my grandmother, Anita, for me, please. And my father, please. Because they liked you a lot. And um, let us all find a cure for cancer. Let us all find a cure for COVID-19. And uh, let's continue to make this world a beautiful place. I think we can do that with the new leadership that's coming into um, the White House with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I'm rooting for you guys. Let's fight the good fight and let's make our world a better place. Thank you for listening to the Aspie Files and uh, we'll see you next time.